G'day, I'm Barry Green. Thanks for joining me on Conversations on Radio WA 87.6 FM in East Perth and Western Tourist Radio in the coastal towns in the southwest of Western Australia. My next guest is an author, educator, and farmer, well known in the agricultural industry for some fairly innovative work that he's doing. Graham Sate. G'day, Graham. Hi, how are you? How's things going, Barry? Good. Now, we're at uh, Catanning today at an or- event organised by Cobworth, a certified organic biodynamic WA, which has been created to represent the interests of organic uh, farming systems in Western Australia. But you work across all forms of agriculture and uh, increasingly you're demonstrating that these sort of regenerative practices are actually creating better outcomes than uh, the many of the industrial processes that we've been told are the way to feed the world. Yes, it's kind of a, an old school concept that I come across often in my many travels. It was 30 countries a year travelling and teaching prior to COVID and now it's been a lot of Zoom meetings and I've just returned to Western Australia after two years to for a week of seminars. But there's a very common misconception to see uh, organics or, or, or moving into a more sustainable regenerative model as being some form of sacrifice that you've got to sacrifice yield and profitability and hopefully at some point you get higher premiums and you turn out to, to break even or perhaps make a little more money. Uh, and no one can afford, obviously, when everyone's highly leveraged and they've got large debts, they've got to send kids to school. You can't afford to take gambles. Um, but the finding in this hard science regenerative approach, if you know what you're doing, um, there is absolutely no excuse for doing less, having less yield involved. It's, it's, a, it's an ultimate win-win scenario because, as I've been pointing out, there's this huge link between soil humus and, and, and climate change and there's going to be a secondary income stream in the form of, of carbon credits at some point quite soon. But that's a wonderful win-win. I consider it to be the dawn of the golden era for agriculture, this, this move into this regenerative model, carbon-based regenerative model, because on every front, on management of water, on the need for, for chemical intervention, uh, and yield and profitability and fun farming, because it's, it's more, it's, there's less stress involved, um, it's just a tremendously exciting time and the world is awakening to it and I, I consult at government level, I meet with the Minister of Agriculture in England recently to discuss post-Brexit agricultural policy. It is a huge change and it's a very exciting time to be involved in agriculture. Well, for somebody, myself, I first went to my first NASA meeting, National Association of Sustainable Agriculture of Australia in Donnybrook in 1989 and uh, for a long time we were considered the loony left and uh, the change that's happening in recent times is profound and we're talking about this on tourist radio and people might question where the link to tourism is but I think tourism is incredibly important because we've really got to get people out of the city into the bush there's been a, a breakdown between farmers and eaters stable systems need a feedback loop and to a fair degree the supermarkets have broken that feedback loop and if we can get people out of the cities talking to farmers again and come to appreciate that uh, food is not just a, a commodity to be down down on price but is actually the foundation of our civilization. Yes I couldn't agree more and it's a it's a um, the, another phenomenon that's linked to this change is this phenomenon of, called putting a face to your food, where consumers globally 
are now wanting to know the, the person who produced the food, how they produced that food. Farmers markets, which are a massive phenomenon globally. We've got 69 in my region of the Sunshine Coast, small area, 400,000 people, 69 farmers markets. And people want to know who produced their food and how that food was produced. And you'll find that 40 to 50% of the vegetable stalls will have spray-free, chemical-free. And the most common comment when you're in those stalls is hearing people pick up some beans and say, is this chemical-free? And usually with beans they'll say no, and they put the beans down. And you just hear that all through when you're shopping in those markets. That's the change that's underway, and, and it's a great change. And I think the, the, the message is, uh, if you get the soil biology right, then most of the problems that we need to, used to need to spray for simply go away. Well, it's not just soil biology. I have to disagree with um, the reductionism. And it's, it's been one of the failings of organics to say, oh, we take care of put in some compost, we bring in some biology, which is hugely important, but we ne- neglect the mineral balance and the screaming requirement for minerals that drive photosynthesis, that drive plant immunity and drive yield and we need to be doing leaf testing, soil testing and field monitoring as part of this what I call nutrition farming if we want to have yields that are comparable or greater than the chemical farmers basically. Yeah, I, I take your point on that. If, uh, if the mineral simply isn't there, then we've got to put it there. Yeah. And, and, and a simple leaf test is just like a, an absolute priority particularly before flowering with a broadacre crop, for example. You're just saying, what do you want, plant? Oh, that's what you want. And then invariably you bypass the soil because there'll be imbalances that have created that shortage in the leaf and you follow your spray, which is 12 to 15 times more efficient. You follow, we've got huge-scale growers across the globe, particularly in places like Saskatchewan with 20,000-acre blocks that basically use their fungicide rigs for foliar rigs now. They do leaf tests, they correct what's missing, and they don't need the fungicides. Well, we've got a classic example of that in Western Australia. Ian and Di Haggerty are doing just that. Yes, very, very good example. And it's interesting because they've sort of, they've almost become global names in the regenerative movement, you know, going from a few hundred hectares to quite a few thousand hectares and and predominantly kick-starting that system with biology, just using things like the unique group of organisms that are incubated in the worm's gut and using these earthworm juices to bring back, and soils that have no earthworms, to bring back that biology and kick-start the system. We're very fortunate in Western Australia at the moment in that we have a Minister for Agriculture in Alana McTiernan who's embraced regenerative agriculture. She's read Charlie Massey's book called The Reed Warbler and New Agriculture and brought him to Western Australia and, and he's issued a bit of a wake-up call to the Ag Department in Western Australia. Yes, it's, it's wonderful to see and it, it is kind of a, something that we're seeing evolve globally that women are stepping up to the place and of course we need some nurturing at this point in time. We've had this concept, I often say, and I've just been saying this morning, that the definition of science is adherence to natural laws and principles. That's what real science is. And a a great deal that that we've done in the name of veterinary science, agriculture science, and medical science has been anything but that. Uh, We've treated symptoms, we haven't gone back to root causes. And all across the globe we've seen women saying, look, we need to change this, we need to develop some reverence. I mean, I I kick-started a movement called Kiss the Ground, and if you've not seen their movie, on Netflix, it's 26 awards and 10 million views. It really drives home that screaming need to develop a reverence. But there are so many women who have stepped up to the plate and said, "You know, we, you know, uh, you know, my argument is we had a pretty good shot and we've messed it up pretty horribly because we thought we could do better than nature. It's an arrogance that's brought us to our knees in some points, and we need some feminine nurturing energy back into the into the thing. And you've, you've got a minister who seems like she might qualify. I've not met her yet.
I think you're right there, Graham. And the other thing that I think is really exciting in this period in history is the internet. And the internet, the best of capitalism, you might argue, is providing a mechanism for the free exchange and ideas and of information. And in the past, throughout eons, information has always been controlled by the, the most powerful. And that's been the case in the Western world for a period of 30 or 40 years. Commercial television was the most powerful communication tool. That was the exclusive domain of the major corporations. And the, the research in agriculture has all been done in researching stuff to sell farmers. And what the internet's doing, it's allowing innovative farmers and scientists like yourself and the, the likes of uh, Christine Jones and Martin Steffer and Charles Massey to, to get information out there in a way that's never been possible before. Uh, it's, it's true, and it, but there is very much a requirement, as we're seeing with misinformation running rampant in Facebook groups and so forth, including you know the advent of people like Donald Trump and so forth, just really based on misinformation. Um, there's a tremendous need to develop the skills to sort the wheat from the chaff when you're looking at um, and, and pick the authenticity. I mean, the vested interest, huge companies that have controlled the agricultural model and many other aspects of our uh, of our of our commercial life. Uh, basically, I mean, there are whole villages in Eastern Europe that are basically quite h highly intelligent, um, qualified people who are basically trained to be scouting everything, every little group that's talking about anything that's counterproductive, what they want. And what you do, and it's a very simple strategy, is that if you want to maintain whatever you're doing, uh, what, what you do is you want apathy. Uh, and how you create apathy as you create confu confusion. So you just have a very, very credible counter-argument to every good argument about what's required. And so you read something, well, that makes sense, I'm going to do that. Then you read something else that also makes sense, and then you say, what the hell, what do I do? So you do nothing. And that's something that's happening on a huge scale on the internet, so you do need to be aware of that. Yeah, I, I agree, and it, that is a concern. But at the same time, I, I had a, a light globe moment in 2001 when we first bought the tourist radio business and I employed a local SEO company to explain how SEO worked. And they explained that Google had become the most successful search engine because they'd figured in any subject area, the more sites that linked to a particular site in that subject area gave it authority and it came up in the ranking. So that was the, the origins of Google, why it became most significant. And so thing, certainly that has evolved, but I still believe that as long as I'm allowed to have a website and you're allowed to have a website, if I believe in what you're doing and you believe in what I'm doing, we can promote each other and there's still the mechanism for that best information to the rise to the top. Yes, there's absolutely no doubt about that. I agree completely. I'm just, I was just pointing out a few cautions, but I couldn't agree more strongly. Western Australia, we do have some fairly difficult soils, so there are some challenges here. But at the same time, I hark back to the fact this is a tourist radio program, but I think tourism that connects people, gets people away from home, gets people out on holiday, perhaps people on holiday are more open to new ideas and when we look at the growing problems around the world of different diseases we didn't used to have, I think there's a growing realisation that um, Houston we have a problem and, uh, and now's the time to, to address that and I think maybe even COVID-19 has made people sit down and realise there's issues going in here and, and the other thing that's in the back of my mind, the problems seem to be worse in some highly developed countries. Now, is that because we've uh, destroyed our own human immune systems? Yes, I mean, the infuriating part about the entire approach towards this is that we've identified fairly early on with this, um, this plague pandemic 
um, that those most at risk by far were those with compromised immune systems. So the obvious common sense strategy would have been, well, is that, you know, what impacts your immunity and how can we improve our immune system? Of course, that's part of what the Chinese did with tremendous success, but we've just said, well, let's wait for the vaccine, let's wait for the vaccine. Um, there's really, really basic things. Most of us are zinc deficient, 79% of us are zinc deficient. Zinc is, you, you can't make killer T cells in the absence of zinc. It's hugely important. So everyone, the gov governmental level, take zinc, magnesium's linked to every aspect. It's in the high 70s in terms of the level of deficiency the stress mineral you're stressed you suck magnesium and all of us are stressed it's a weird crazy world that we've created so magnesium becomes an essential vitamin d is not a vitamin it's actually a hormone and there's massive research now relative to uh, the importance of vitamin d for viral protection vitamin a and so if we look at something like cod liver oil at a tablespoon per day high source of vitamin a high source of vitamin d and the other thing we're lacking is hugely linked to inflammation which this disease is strongly linked to is omega-3 fatty acids. We need to have a ratio of 2 to 1, omega-6 to omega-3. In Australia, it's 21 to 1, which means we've got a lot more inflammatory tendencies. The Americans are 26 to 1. The Indians are 12 to 1, but they've got more robust immune systems in general, and the percentage is much lower than the Americans, who are one of the unhealthiest people on the planet. Does that relate to grass-fed meat as distinct from feedlot meat? Well, I mean, that's just one of many, many parts of the story, but there is, you do need to know from a, I'm a lecturer on nutrition around the globe, but you do need to know that there's a, a, a profound difference between grass-fed and grain-fed. I mean, basically, as we mentioned, we've got this horribly out of whack omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. Omega-6 is, is an inflammatory cascade. You cut yourself, you get a little bit sore and pussy, and that's driven by prostaglandins and thromboxanes, these little protein messengers built from omega-6. So it drives inflammation. And then hopefully the countering anti-inflammatory thing kicks in, and this is based on little protein messages built from omega-3. Two to one's what you're supposed to be. What does it mean when you've got 10 times more inflammation builders and inflammation's linked to every degenerative disease? You've got problems, uh, and so you need to address that. And so, so we say, where do we get omega-3 from? Well, you get it from things from the ocean, obviously, uh, from oily fish from the ocean who have accumulated that particular fatty acid, but you also get it from grass. Where do you get omega-6 from? You get it from grains. You get it from the junk oils, the sunflower, the safflower, the canola, the peanut oil, the soy oil, and so forth. Um, and you get it from margarine, one of the biggest junk foods that ever addressed our, our dinner table uh, and should be tossed out and never consumed again. It's just a toxic piece of garbage, uh, filled with omega-6s, of course. Um, and, and the animals who are fed and fattened on omega-6-dominated grain, they're more inflammatory, so we've got to come on with chemical intervention, which is a problem when you're eating that meat, particularly the fat component, um, and grass-fed uh, the animals that are filled with, omega, with omega-3s that we're chasing. And then we say, okay, what about fat? You know, saturated fat's bad. Yeah, well, grass-fed's got 10% of long-chain fatty acid called palmitic acid. Grain-fed, because they're not, it's not natural to pump them up with grain, has 50%, and 50% is way too much, and now that'll stick to your arteries, clog your arteries, and shorten your life. So there is no comparison, grain-fed and grass-fed. And we've been sold the fact that grain-fed's the superior meat, which is total and complete nonsense. So it's all in the marketing, Graham. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. No, there's good reasons in the sense that, you know, we some of our beef cattle run on some pretty rugged country and at least if you're a supermarket and you want to standardise the food, you know that a piece of meat that's grown with grain feed because they all got the same junk is going to have a guaranteed level of being a little bit tender or whatever. 
uh, whereas you can't guarantee all the grass fed. This is why you got to go to a butcher who knows his meat and knows where he's sourcing it, so that you and grass fed is much tastier and much nicer if. It hasn't just been brought up on one one cow per 10 square kilometres in the, where some of our cattle are brought up where there's no nutrition, there's nothing. So you do have to source your grass-fed meat, but it's so much superior. In Australia, we're very much focused on down-down on prices food, but uh, you get what you pay for. What, how does that influence some of these imported foods that are coming in? Well, we've all screamed the praises of free trade and that we, get, um, we can buy food from anywhere, anytime, instead of you know sourcing locally and seasonal. We might be delighted at the fact that we can walk into our Coles or Woolies and buy something like a can of lychees for $2.20. Lychees are beautiful. I mean, fresh lychee season in Queensland at the moment. Absolutely delicious. One of my favourite fruits. But I say you think that's a pretty good thing because they still taste pretty good in the can. But the countries that supply those under free trade rules uh, have to conform to the requirements of their country, not ours. So we changed the fact with cans needing lead, you know, basically banning lead solder to join that can together and we now use silver solder, and, we ch- and silver solder is more expensive than lead, obviously. And we changed those rules many years back. Well, Thailand never did, for example. Uh, and we banned Dildrum, which is sort of a sister of DDT, many years back. And it's used weekly, sometimes twice weekly, on lychees in Thailand. So, yeah, you got your $2.20, but you got a load of crap. You got lead and Dildrum. And that's something to be very, very aware of with this free trade, trade thing. There is no, there's not, it's not our standards that are being held to. You, you can be getting all sorts of contaminated rubbish produce in that, in that model. If people are listening to this on holiday, and holiday tends to be times when people sort of are open to new ideas, how can they get in touch with you and, and, or, or learn about the science that you talk about, uh, Graeme? Well, interesting, and I must admit I've become a bit of a fan of myself of this technology, and I wonder, in fact, I'm sort of... Grossly surprised that how come I didn't think of it earlier, but podcasts are a great way when you're on holiday, when you're travelling, when you're sitting in the tractor on the, on the farm. Uh, and I only recently, you know, about a year and a half ago, began a podcast called the Nutrition Farming Podcast, which has become almost absurdly popular, and I wish I'd done it earlier. But, um, you know, podcasts, I mean, I personally, if I'm driving, I consider each drive, I say, well, that's a three podcast journey or a two and a half podcast. And I love things like conversations that are very popular. So Sarah and Richard, they do just this thing. There's never a boring one, you know, it's just fascinating little insight into someone's life. So podcasts are wonderful and podcasts are something you can do on holiday. And the concept uh, that we just mentioned relative to tourism and agriculture, I mean, there are things like the U-Camp concept where you can, $12 per person, camp on a farm anywhere and you've got to be self-contained because there's not necessarily facilities available in terms of toilets and showers, so you've got to put many of our camping uh, vehicles now are self-contained, but you can get in there and you need to you know, develop that. That, that. That's huge trend of putting a pace to your food. Well, get out and see how food's been produced. Get a bit excited about it. We want a new generation to come into the most important of all professions. There is nothing more important than producing food. It's the number one profession, most important profession on the planet. And you've got a bit of time uh, and you're going to have a lot of fun. You're going to be, you know, you're going to have that that thing that drives many farmers, which is the great fun of being out there working with a natural system, living amongst it and experiencing it. There is more to life than sitting playing computer games in your lounge. And many of you who have just experienced the lockdowns associated with particularly city people from Melbourne, why is it that the rural towns are suddenly in the biggest boom probably in their history? Because everyone said, oh my God, I'd rather have a sense of community and have a little place where I've got some space around me. And that's a wonderful change. Well, that's music to my ears, Graeme, and that you talk about 
uh, UCAMP. Western Tourist Radio has got the website farmsdaywest.com.au. Network of farm stays across regional Western Australia, farm and station stays, our own place, Baronia Farm at Donnybrook. We've just got the one cottage. I enjoy the fact that we get a chance to talk to our guests and uh, and it's interesting that uh, we have some really intelligent people visit and they don't know what they don't know. And uh, there's a whole industry has been built around making sure it stays that way and Western Tourist Radio and our radio and our podcast is all about breaking that down and, and uh, making people better aware, as you say, of uh, agriculture. And there's all this talk about technology but the future of this civilization. Technology is useful and I think the only way technology will really make a difference is if it allows us to scan a piece of food before we buy it to determine what it's really worth paying for. Yes, it's, it's interesting because there are at least four technologies that are almost here that do have the potential to be game changers. There was uh, a, a father from California whose daughter was horrifically chemical sensitive and he teamed up with an Israeli electronics engineer and they developed the first and now there are four or five. There's been all sorts of snags, people stomping on them and so forth but basically that technology allowed you to um, have a sort of a laser gun attachment to a phone app, walk through the supermarket, shine it on your cornflakes and say well I've got this kind of nutrition or I haven't got this kind of nutrition but I've also got these 17 chemical residues in the food I'm feeding my children. And that really does change the game when that, all, and then people put on the Facebook and say, look at this, I just checked this brand of cornflakes or whatever, and this is what's in there. And things change very quickly at that point. And that's what the larger uh, food producers are recognising, that this change is coming and they better get on board. And so, you know, I've been training some of the largest food producers on the planet. It's not necessarily because they're thinking, oh, I'd like to produce better food for my clients. It's because their strategic advisors have said, look, this is change is coming. You better be on board or you're going to be playing catch up. Uh, and it is coming and it's underway and you need to be part of it and see, see what it's all about. So at the end of the day, it's all driven by economics and economics, I think, in this occasion is going to end up taking us in the right direction. It's been fantastic talking to you, Graham. Thank you. It's a great pleasure. Keep up your good work, Barry. I've been talking to Graham Sait from Nutritech Solutions on conversations on Radio WA as we tell the stories of people and places in Western Australia.